What happens at laser tag never stays at laser tag. Laser. Laser unfocused tag talk. Laser unfocused tag talk. I feel like you could be like in Ghostbusters or something. Like oh my god, you have got some stories. Let's talk about laser tag. Who knew you were a laser tag legend? Time to get laser unfocused. Tag talk with Tivia. Welcome to Laser Unfocused Tag Talk. Hi, I'm Tivia. When it comes to laser tag tournaments, my guest this week has years of experience, accolades, and a unique vantage point as both a coordinator and a player. I'd like to welcome my guest today. He is a familiar face in the zone laser tag scene, Luke Beckwith, better known as Skywalker. Hi, Luke. How are you doing? Good. Very good. I know this is kind of a busy week for you because we are just on the verge of Battle for the Fort coming up. And uh, maybe we could just take a moment to say, what are you going to be busy with in the very near future? We have our Battle for the Fort tournament, which is a local tournament, um, kind of like an annual thing that we do here. And uh, a lot of teams from all over this this year are actually coming to join. So we got a lot of Armageddon players joining us this year. And then a lot of uh, other like close local uh, competitive players like in Ohio and in uh, Michigan and uh, are coming down as well. So that should be fun. Well, that's terrific. So I want to talk to you about tournaments and uh, this one being right on the uh, the horizon seemed like a good excuse to have this discussion. But before we get into that, maybe you could just kind of give me a little overview of your laser tag background and how yeah. you got started, particularly how you got started in the competitive scene. Sure. Uh, when I was 15, I was I was introduced to UltraZone in Fort Wayne uh, by a buddy of mine. And uh, I started playing on the weekends during our All You Can Play, you know, and I got to know some of the members there that were really good. And I wanted to get better like they were. And I kept coming every weekend and bought a membership and I just fell in love with the sport. So I started staying for after night events. And about five months after I started playing, I was invited to go to D.C., and I had just turned 16 at the time. And that's when I was on RSD for the first time ever. And that team took me and I, I'm sure you've heard of the name Slick. He, he uh, is like a big name in the, in the zone community. And he took me under his wing and taught me a lot of what I know today. And that's how I became like the first, you know, like, or not the first, but one of the youngest players, I guess, uh, to my recollection, to ever win a, a zone tournament. Well, that's terrific. So you started pretty young. And I mean, do you find that in the competitive scene, what is the age range that people tend to uh, first gravitate into that? I would say the majority are like uh, late teens. So like anywhere from 17 starting to like 19 starting. But you do have some late comers that, you know, like just have never thought of coming to play competitively. And then they find out that it's a thing and then they're like, what, you know, and they fall in love with the sport later in life and, and they have a good time with it too. So, but I would say the typical age range, like for any of my new members that we get, cause we get new members like each year. And then, you know, most of them end up being high school and college, and then some end up going off to college. So then they'll come back and visit and play more with us. So our member base is constantly switching up with, with people going to college and then coming back and then new faces showing up. So. So you at 16 to jump into a nationals and be on a team that won nationals, that was kind of like a big jump right into the, the deep end. Yeah, it was definitely awesome experience in a, probably too much of an ego boost at that age. Cause <laughs> I probably, I probably had an ego. I, I mean, 
who wouldn't at 16 years old winning their first competition, you know, um, egos and laser tag. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I definitely, uh, have, uh, have tried my best to become more humble uh, as a player. The, the more we get uh, older, the more you, you realize you got to teach the younger ones what you've learned all these years. So. Oh, very good. Do you play any other systems competitively or are you pretty much exclusively zone? Um, I'm mainly exclusively zone. So any of the tournaments that I host and travel to, um, the majority of my money for the hobby would go towards that. So like, you know, when I've gone to Australia and Sweden a couple of times now, um, they're all zone tournaments. Now I know Armageddon does like a UK tournament too, I think. And I've participated in Armageddon twice in the States. I think I've gotten two second places in Armageddon. So I've never gotten a first, but it was a fun experience. I didn't get to play all the systems because I just couldn't be there for the whole tournament. Um, but I'd like to, I, I, I played Tron. I played uh, Storm, I think with the headband. Yes. And I played the combat tactical tag and um, laser force, which I would say is my second favorite uh, laser tag system out of any of them. So laser force would definitely be a, a close second that I would consider competing. Uh, Space Marines is a great game. So definitely, but zone is where your heart is. It sounds like. Absolutely. Like I fell in love with it. I, I, my first laser tag tournament was on laser Tron and uh, cause I'm from Buffalo, New York. So the Amherst, oh, I didn't know that. Yep. That's where I'm from. The Amherst location was like the very first laser tag experience I ever had at 14 and then when I came to Fort Wayne at, you know, 15, I moved here and then I didn't think that laser tag had all these different types of, you know, systems. And I fell in love with zone though, because probably because of that tournament that I went to. And ever since then, I just love the system. So. Well, I'd love to know what is it about zone that really uh, attracts you and what, what do you like most about the experience? Um, I'd say it, it's, the fact that you can work together as a team, but you can also have such strength as an individual, like on a lot of systems, they require great, great teamwork. And on, on zone, you can have great teamwork, but you can also work as like a, a solo person. And that's what a lot of like teams will have that they're one solo player that kind of runs off and does what they need to do by getting pack points, disrupting a team from getting in a base just a bunch of different strategies behind being a solo player in the game. And that's what I've done for years until I've started captaining teams where I've had to assign somebody else that role and, or have an in-game leader where they assign that role, you know? So there's just the, the gameplay itself, just it, the way it plays compared to any of the other systems I've played on. Now, mind you, I've only played Armageddon twice and I didn't get to play, you know, as much as I would like, um, I would say zone just plays really well though. Like the fact that there's base rules where you can't be inside the base when it's, when you're off and stuff like that. And as you know, you've played many zone tournaments now as well. Um, I think that the, the rules really add a foundation to the gameplay that make it more fun as a competitive game mode than, than playing the other ones. Well, that's fair. And what kind of strategizing do you do when you're in a game? And, uh, you know, are there uh, times that you find yourself preferring to play offense versus defense? Uh, What do you do? Um, It really depends on who's in the game. So if you know that there's going to be a team that's really good at defense, you kind of want to starve them, just leave them be. But if you see the enemy team, since there's three teams in there at once, if you see the third team going to their base for some reason, 
you want to get behind them and shoot them in the back while shooting the other team that's, you know, trying to defend their base. Um, so that's one strategy. And then the other strategies for playing offensively are if you see a weaker team, let's face it, both teams usually try and dive on that one team right away and they'll try and get in the base and rotate it before the other strong team does. Cause there's always usually one weaker team than the three, than the other two in the, in the game. Sometimes in finals, you'll have three really strong teams and you'll have like a really, really defensive game where you only push out a couple offensive players just to kind of scout. And then if you can break their defense and somehow manage to get a base, you get it really quick and you go back to yours to make sure that the offense hasn't gone and taken your base, you know? So there's a bunch of different things that can play uh, a role in the game based on who's in it and then what's happening in the game. So having in-game like awareness of what's going on in your surroundings is really important. And then communicating that to your teammates rather than just keeping it to yourself. That's like vital to the game. Communication is huge and uh, often loud and noisy, yeah. but <laughs> but if you're not communicating, you're, uh, you're kind of missing the boat. Mm-hmm. And sometimes players just, they get on like a one way path and they can't, they can't hear, see, or think of anything other than what's in front of them when really they shouldn't even be focusing on that. And they should like listen to their teammates. And sometimes you, you just got to grab those people and take them by the vest and let make them follow you, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's some great strategizing for the, the team events. And uh, I'm sure that's going to be a big part of battle for the fort. Uh, but also oftentimes there are side events. So let's talk a bit about the tournament that's coming up that uh, you are the coordinator for. Yep. Okay, so Battle for the Fort. What is going to be happening at this tournament and what can people expect as far as uh, different games and formats? Well, um, as far as the games and formats go, we're running Team Comp as the main event, as always. Um, However, it's a little bit different as opposed to most tournaments. We play five-man. In order to get more traction and more teams signed up, we did quads. So it is a quads-man tournament, so four-man all together. You'll have 12 people in the arena, so the game times will be shortened by two minutes. So in a, instead of a 10-minute game, we'll have an eight-minute game because there's three less players in the game. So try and make it a little harder for everybody to get their bases um, or actually keep it around that same level playing field where since there's three less people in the game, now you need to like shorten the games a little bit. So for the side events, though, we're going to be doing – we're going to be skipping out on Elim this year. We just don't have the time for it. I know that's, like, a staple side event that everyone loves. Um, I just don't feel like it plays the greatest in Fort Wayne since we have a little bit smaller of an arena compared to, like, Bailey's Ultra Zone or Philly Ultra Zone. Those two are great arenas. They're a little bit bigger. You can spread out a little bit more. But with four teams for Elim inside, a, inside Fort Wayne's Ultra Zone, which you've been to, you know the downstairs is a little bit – uh, smaller than the other sites are that like it's spread out nicely. There's a lot of places to hide and stuff, but with four teams in there, it's a little bit tough. Usually two teams end up getting pinched and just eliminated right away. So we're skipping that one. We're going to focus on solos as one of the side events. Cause it's one of the fastest side events to get through. Whoever wants to sign up and play can, can play. We'll just be doing uh, a few games before we go to finals where six players will drop off. Six will get to buy the other, people in the middle will just fight over who gets the finals and it'll be a two game series finals. And then we got, lastly, we got a base run, which most Americans know as Swede format um, because a lot of the Swedish players like to just play at one base. Same with the Germans. They like to play at one base and they just 
fight over the base over and over and over for a short time period. So we're going to do five minute games where two teams of four play at red base and two teams of four play at green base. And they fight over getting that base as many times as they can within the boundary set. Um, and whoever comes out on top, will get one rank point. Whoever comes in second, will get two. And then the teams with the most rank points after 18 games will go to finals, the four teams, the other, the other five teams won't make it to finals. It'll just be like a straight to finals, uh, 18 game series. So we're excited to see how that plays. Cause we've never done that before either. Well, excellent. And how many teams are you anticipating? We have nine signed up currently. And then there was talk of more players being interested. So like we still have some free agents and some other players, but currently we have nine teams signed up and we're hoping, you know, everyone has, you know, at least four players. If not, there are still free agents that can always join a team or if a team wants to pick up a, an alt, they can. So I, I know you said you call this a local event, but it's kind of become a little bit more of a regional in terms yeah. of just the, the pull that you've had for it. In fact, I mean, you might call it a, a wide region because I came out for it in what, 2019. Yeah. And um, so it, it's great to see that there's more participation from uh, from different areas and widening that. Um, and I'd love to know what your thoughts are about, you know, the importance of doing tournaments like this as far as do they help to feed into the scene for larger events like the nationals and, and international type events? I think they do. I think it's important, especially if you're playing on different systems. So as you know, zone has two systems currently that are the most played, which would be Helios two or Helios pro. Now Nexus is a zone favorite. Everyone that has played zone in the past loves playing on Nexus. However, there there's not many of those to go around. So uh, I think in 2018, I even rented a, a Nexus system uh, to host battle for the fort back in 2018. And we had some pack issues, but everyone had a good time. But I think it's important to host these events annually. If we if we don't do at least one here, do it at another ultra zone, whether that's Bailey's or Philly, because mainly your East Coast is where you have most of your competitive scene. There are some West Coast players and they came out to Philly this year. It was great to have them there. I think you played with some of them, right? I played on the California team. I am a Chino Hills player. I, I was going to say. <laughs> Ironic being from New York. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I knew those guys from previous events and uh, they're great. So shout out to them. They were great and they did, they had a great time. Everyone loved having them there. So I'd love to see their scene grow. So just even them knowing that we have such a big scene here and by big, I mean, like it's, it's still growing. It falls back after COVID and, and we've been slowly growing those numbers again. Um, so it was good to see them out there. So yes, I would say definitely important to have these events and, and having your local leagues and stuff where it's just like whoever comes close to your site having those are important too. So growing the, the community can be uh, even, even bigger. If you do that, like we have a first time team that's never played in a tournament because they've been playing in our leagues. So this will be their first tournament in battle for the fort. So they're super excited too. That's awesome. And you named a couple of the, the best known, probably uh, ultra zone arenas, but I'd love mm -hmm. to talk about ways that maybe the, the scene could grow. Now, how much of what you see beyond maybe those three arenas, how much do you see in the competitive scene that you would say is player run versus say organized by an arena owner? I would say most of it's player run um, from what I've seen as being one of the people that have hosted multiple nationals now and been to many of the nationals here in the States for zone. Um, 
it was always player run uh, from what I noticed with a little bit of support, depending on what arena you went to from the owner. And uh, when we had like, when we hosted worlds in 2011 in Syracuse, New York at an ultra zone there, that's not open anymore. Oh, um, my home site, fun junction. That was an ultra zone at that time, but became fun junction. It was a cool site. And, uh, and it was close to my home too. Cause I lived in, well, I lived between Buffalo and Rochester, but mm-hmm. um, I had never been there until 2011 and at worlds. And that was a, a good time. But I remember when there was some involvement with like owners or um, maybe even like operators of some sort in some capacity, there seemed to be issues like they weren't on the same page or, you know, but I I would love to see some more support from owner operators. So it's, it's great that I run the site that I work at. So I don't own it, but I do run the site. I, I, the owner is kind of hands off. He does most of the, most of like the, the bills and the payroll stuff like that but he lets me run the site for him and, and he's happy with the way it's been ran so i i'm happy for that and i'm happy that he lets me run local leagues and tournaments and he keeps the cost low because like at some other sites you know it does cost more so um being able to have some support in that element is great when when owners are willing to do like a 50 50 split or something like that is great as well so well now, it's great that you've got kind of the the multi-perspective from different facets of this. And mm-hmm. um, I have the perspective of having gone around the country and seen some of these smaller arenas that are interested in dabbling. But I think there is a bridge to, uh, to connect between some of the uh, arenas that haven't quite found their way to the competitive scene to the ones that are sort of the mainstays that everybody kind of considers the main competitive arenas. And um, so uh, I've actually heard it said about you that you have kept the zone scene growing in your area through sheer force of will. And I think that that is a real testament to what you've got going on in Fort Wayne and the fact that you're growing it. But Oftentimes, uh, what I've observed is that sometimes laser tag owners really want to get started or dabble in having tournaments for their local people, uh, sometimes try and get a league started, and sometimes it just doesn't have the momentum or they don't quite know where to begin to get the ball rolling. And yeah. uh, therefore, I think kind of defaults to the places that have been doing it for a while. But, you know, you have the benefit of seeing these events run from multiple perspectives as a manager and uh, and also as a player. So what advice would you give to an operator who would really like to coordinate a competitive event and doesn't know how to get that momentum going? I actually did a speech on that in, in Vegas back in 2019 which I've learned more since then even. Um, but I, I know that it's tough anywhere starting up a leagues because you, you never know. I would say starting up a leagues doesn't just happen overnight. You kind of got to start a membership of some sort for regulars to come or make it fun for them to do like an all day pass or an all night pass, something like that. Um, a, a great, a great idea right now, which, uh, I can't Tyson, Tyson and Cusar in Toledo, you know, Tyson um, sure. doing like once a month where he does like a late night after hours access night for members. So if, if places are willing to do something, whether it's late night for teenagers or during the week, you know, after school, something for kids to do, sign up, keep the cost low, or maybe even make it like a, like an experience where it's like, not just, competitive but also you learn something you know something where you're involving 
two two birds with one stone. You know, you're killing two birds with one stone. Um, we don't do anything for like young ages at our site, particularly. I would love to do something like that. I would say your demographics always play a part in it, um, depending on uh, other local venues that also have the same stuff as you. Um, if you're a standalone site, you might have more traction at getting local members. But if you have more to offer, like if you're like a bowling alley, you're probably going to have more bowling members like on bowling leagues than you would like laser tag leagues. You know, it would just be like more of an afterthought. But if you're a standalone site, you know, with just laser tag and maybe a few other side attractions, I would say, you know, start slow, build the member base and then offer some sort of league incentive a couple months in advance for people to sign up and, and really just see how it goes, you know, and you can market that on social media in house, you know, and have your, your member base that is there currently really spread the word to their friends and maybe get something going like that, you know, and then get involved too. Like I'm involved in, in all the things that I host. Sure. I play in some people like, um, I would love to like just host a tournament and not play and not take part, but like getting involved. I think a lot of people like having the involvement of the workers, you know, at that site and they learn a lot from the workers of that site. So if you can teach people on how to get better, they're more likely to come back and, and really want to get involved with like late night activities or after school activities. Some of the places that I've seen uh, try and do a smaller scale local tournament, for the most part, all the ones that come to mind immediately have been standalone laser tag arenas. But there is definitely a trend in the industry right now that those are becoming less and less common. And a lot yeah. of laser tags are being incorporated into the family entertainment center model. So what do you think that this trend means for laser tag? I would say that uh, any of the standalone laser tags that are still open today are definitely um, well known. And they're definitely probably surviving off those types of specials where you're running your all day pass or your all night pass and getting a lot of birthday party bookings because their parents had played, you know, and as kids and stuff like that as well. But cause I, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, we've been around for 28 years and I still have people that walk in the doors and said, I've never known you were here or did you guys just open, you know, stuff like that. But it is nice to hear when people walk in the door, you know, like, I like what you've done with the place. It looks great in here, you know, like, uh, because they've been, haven't been in so long, you know, but I would say that laser tag is becoming definitely more of like a, a secondary attraction at bigger entertainment centers. So it's not being, um, as, as pushed for in, in that sense of like having fun for just laser tag. Cause a lot of people will even ask me that too. Like, do you guys have anything else? And I'd be like, no, we, we focus on laser tag as our main attraction, you know, and and we have an arcade and we have VR and stuff like that. But um, it's definitely becoming less and less popular, I would say, as as the years go on. Well, now, I'd argue on the popularity part. I think that what we're seeing is that um, it is being worked into the model. But what I also have heard from. Yeah, I'm at stand like opening up a standalone might be less popular. Oh, oh I understand I'm, what you're saying. My Now, I would love to open my own standalone i would be, I have no issues with that and then i would still want that to be the main attraction like don't get me wrong like for the laser tag industry i'm i'm all about it like um i'm not trying to say that it's less popular in the fact that like it's they're gonna start shutting doors everywhere but you know i, th I think that covid kind of did that to a lot of places and that's why a lot of the standalones just didn't stay alive because they only focused on 
you know, birthday parties for laser tag, you know, so they didn't have the other side attractions to help with that. COVID did take down some amazing attractions, and that is such a shame to see. I know. San Diego, Washington, I never got a chance to go. I always wanted to. I was in San Diego in 2019, and I just couldn't get out there. But Yeah, it, it, it was... It was a real hit to the industry, but thankfully, uh, a lot of the operators seem to have a, a big comeback in as soon as uh, things were able to reopen, which was great to see. And uh, and also, uh, where I was going as far as I, I certainly see the popularity still, because even in these FEC models, when I yeah. talk to the owners and the operators, I'm getting a lot of feedback that uh, laser tag is still one of their very popular attractions. But I yeah. think that you know when you're in that kind of a model, it may be a little bit tougher to isolate um, a, a serious member competitive type player versus the people who are just coming in the door for a Saturday afternoon. And I think that that's where sometimes it's a little bit tougher for uh, some centers to bridge into the competitive scene. So maybe you've got some thoughts then about, you know, wherever you are and if you're watching this and, and love laser tag, but there isn't a competitive scene, what would you, what's that? It's like a big part, like finding the right staff to run those events Cause like a lot of owners can't really like, they want to do it, but they don't have anyone to do it. You know? Cause like if they have all these other things that are going on with what, what involves running a business, which we all know is a lot. Um, and they don't have like someone that works for them to run those events. It can be very tough to run. Um, if you're not giving a lot of your time to it, you know, cause it does take, you know, a lot of prep time, you got to like market it. And, but if you, if you give the idea, even if you have like a, a manager, like a marketing team online, you give them the idea of what you want. You tell them exactly how you want it laid out. They can get that stuff going for you, you know, and, and, and then you just got to make sure you have the manpower to like, make sure it happens, you know? Well, and what would you suggest to a player who, you know, might be able to play in in a casual environment, but wants to take it to the next step? What would you recommend to somebody who wants to get into the competitive scene? Um, well, for zone, I mean, I would recommend them trying to reach out to a zone community of some sort. Like we have many Facebook pages, many different sites that play competitively. And just like the Armageddon community, they they find places that they can host their competitive competitions at new sites that don't have competitions there. But it would be cool if like, say for instance, they, you got a hold of a site that you know wants to have com- competitions. And then maybe that site invites all of their players that they know are really interested in being competitive out for like an Armageddon night, you know, or something like that, where Armageddon's going to be here and host and you guys can learn a lot from them or something like that, you know, like, um, or if, a lot of times what we'll do is uh, at Fort Wayne here, we'll, we'll have players that are interested, but they've never quite, you know, they're, they're kind of embarrassed or they don't want to like get involved because they know that they're just not as good as everybody else, but they want to learn. So they'll, we play downstairs only. So we'll allow any spectators to go upstairs and watch. And uh, we've had some people that spectated for two years before they ever put on a vest to compete. And now they love it. And now they compete, you know, and, um, it's it's cool to see that like how just more and more people just fall in love with the sport as they watch it too so tuning into competitions online i know it's weird to watch on twitch and stuff but we're trying to make it better and better as years go on um australia had a great scoreboard 
made this year and by some of their player base. And we're trying our best to make it more spectator friendly and have commentators as they do. So there is a lot to be learned from, uh, from Australia as well. That's, that's where I've learned a lot of ideas here would be, I'd say from Australia when I went. So that's a good, good place to look at in, in aspects of like uh, being an owner operator or something like that. But as just a player getting involved, definitely tuning into those social media outlets if you don't have anything local and don't be afraid to like get in the car with some friends and drive to a local place. We had a a team from Cleveland come out one year that had never competed. And I think they, they came out, competed for one day. They lost, they didn't have as much fun as they thought they would, but they learned from it. And I think some of them still play today. So. I am a big proponent of do those road trips. Yes, (laughs) definitely. And try and have as many different experiences as possible. So from the vantage point of an organizer, you know, what do you see as some of the pros and cons of, say, organizing an event with teams versus a draft versus solo or small squad competitions? I gotcha. Um, Hosting uh, team competitions where it's pre-made, I would say pre-made competitions, pre-made teams. Um, A lot of players get to play with who they want to. They enjoy coming in together and naming their team what they want and getting team uniforms and some players even like to go so far as like trading jerseys with other players um it's definitely big in australia it's growing here that 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 popular aspect here in the states it's it's becoming more popular more more and more teams are definitely ordering like team uniforms for national events um and a lot more players stick together that way and they get better together and you build more team like uh chemistry uh, by having a pre-made go in a tournament. So you'll see some, some of the same guys play together event after event after event, but it's fun to sometimes throw into those pre-made tournaments, a draft side event, which we've done once before and everyone had a great time. I honestly don't know why we haven't done it again, other than the fact that there's not enough time. So that's usually the big, the big stopper on a lot of side events is never enough time. Cause everyone wants to play cop. It's the most, you know, the most fun game mode for, everyone that's trying to learn how to get better at the game Um, as a standalone draft tournament though, that can be beneficial for like local. uh, If you're trying to grow your scene and you already have an established member base somewhat, and you have good players that, you know, are like better than your average player that comes into your store. And then you have some of the workers that want to participate too. And, you know, if they work the event, they get to play for free. Maybe, you know, if they're helping work the event, they don't, you don't charge them to play in the, in those league nights or something. And uh, you, you do a draft by what I do is I, I put players into tiers based on uh, skill, knowledge, and overall, like uh, just how good they are in the game, like how aware they are in the game. So I have like a tier one and a tier two and any new player would be considered a tier three player in my books. And I split them up into those tiers and I try and make them as even as possible when we do the, the draft. And typically we'll have like, if there's five teams, we'll pick five tier one players and we'll go back and forth and pick the teams that way based on who's on the list of who signed up for the leagues. And that can be really beneficial to everybody to learn and uh, to also help your team. If you're one of those better players, you got to help those newer guys in order to get their bases or, or learn when to call doors like, be communicative in the game in the game and, and and i can't remember though what was the last question you asked uh you asked about pre-mades and, and drafts and then there was something else I oh small like. squads like you're reducing your size 
for the team this time around. Competition with quads. So we're going to see how it goes. Everyone's, I mean, we have a lot of popularity. A lot of people signed up. No one has seemed to complain about it. We we've, we've tested it in house by doing four man teams, three, four man teams in house by, you know, trying it, seeing how the game played with reloads on, seeing how the game played without reloads, keeping the game time at 10 minutes, shortening it to eight minutes. Like we've done a lot of testing and we've all agreed that no reloads, eight minute games, the game plays really well. And it, it'll really just determine on how much fun everybody has based on how everybody plays. Cause every team plays a little different, you know? So I'm hoping that the new teams really have a lot of fun and, and, and enjoy it even if they don't place well. So we're, we're actually going to be doing in like the next day or two or next week, if we can't get to it, we're going to be doing a, a, a short video like this. And uh, we're doing a prediction placement like we did for nationals last year. I don't know if you saw that, that mm-hmm. video prediction placement and a lot of the new guys uh, got to vote on that. And it, it, and then I put at the bottom though, um, give us a reason why you ranked one through four and why you ranked five through nine. And a lot of the new guys were just like, I've played against these people. I know who's good and who's not these people I haven't ever heard of or played against. So I really don't know. And and then it, it's giving, getting them to know each other now, putting faces to names and then learning who's good and who's, who's really, uh, you know, got the potential to, to get better too, you know? So that'll be fun to see how the tournament goes based on everyone's predictions too. Well, absolutely. I think everybody kind of has a good time with that. And uh, just an observation about the draft, because the last time that I came out, I've been to Fort Wayne for several competitions now. And the last one prior to COVID was a draft. And I just want to say how welcoming as an outsider, I I felt that format was because I didn't have to have a team. I showed up. I was told which team adopted me. It was a great time. So uh, I just want to shout out the Fort Wayne players because everybody was so welcoming to uh, a player that they didn't know very well at that point. And uh, I think the draft opened up the possibility for me to come and see what you do out there, which was a lot of fun. I'm glad you say that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so different possibilities as far as how you approach things. Do you have any thoughts on what can be done to develop a greater interest in laser tag? Oh, what can be done? That's, there's a lot of things that could be done. Absolutely. Um, off the top of my head, I would go back to the whole making it a spectator sport and make it understandable. Um, because if you have friends that, you know, have fun playing laser tag, but they just, they're not interested like in going, but maybe they watch you or they support you that way. Even like relatives, cousins, brothers, sisters, you know, there's definitely, you know, it's easy to turn on your phone and like see like highlights. I would love to do like highlight reels of like the games of like what what was like the best play and like have awards for that too. Like it would be so cool to do that and like just different clips and share those clips on social media and to those business business pages too. Like and some people make some people make jokes and that's fine. Like whatever interaction you get from your audience, local or not, like, I think there is a a competitive laser tag page on, on TikTok over in Germany and it has millions and millions of views. And like, they'll, they'll make jokes about them dancing in the arena. Like that guy is a try hard, you know, like there's just a bunch of different things and it's fine. Like it's just getting people to, to see what we do and, 
and really getting it to be more well known about, I think would, would really make it grow. I think the Laser Sports Academy has done a great job as far as uh, really developing some online interest and, and putting out some content that really gets people kind of engaged with the game. Yeah. So shout out to uh, to another great uh, podcast uh, video team. Absolutely. Um, and over the course of the many years that you have been playing, what has been your personal favorite tournament memory? Um, I would go back to D.C., um... Even though it was my first tournament, I would have to go back to when I was 16 in D.C. with a bunch of friends, getting to know everybody, thinking I was the best player, but I by far was not. Um, and just meeting everybody for the first time outside of Fort Wayne and realizing, like, wow, there's a lot of really good players. And, like, just knowing that there's still all these players that don't come out anymore. And, and just the few that do, like, I, I still have a lot of love for everybody that doesn't anymore. And I wish they could still make time to come out, but DC was so much fun because it was a new arena uh, to me at the time. So like, if you're a new player going to anywhere new, is always a great experience because you get to learn the layout, you get to meet new faces, you know, meet new people. And, and uh, the location is always like a huge thing. So like Fort Wayne, it's not like the most ideal place that everyone wants to come. There is a lot more to do here now than in years past. It's growing city. Um, downtown is great now. And if you come in the summertime, it's a lot more to do. But DC, always a lot of free stuff to do. You can walk around. So that was great. Like getting to go down downtown and visit all the monuments with friends. It was just such a great time. So I highly recommend going to DC, even if you're not like, uh, a zone player just coming for a zone competition. If we ever have one at Bailey's crossroads, just across the river from DC, it's, it's a great time. So. Definitely. And as far as more recent tournament memories, the last time you and I played together was at the U S zone Nats and your team came out victorious. And so yeah. do you have any memories from, uh, from that, which was only a couple of months ago? Yeah. Uh, Philly was a great time. Um, I got to visit a lot of places there. We went downtown, um, went to a lot of like local shops and, and there was some festival going on downtown. So that was cool. We got a lot of, see a lot of like the historical landmarks too in Philly, like the Liberty Bell and some of the other buildings that were there. So that was really impactful as well. Cause I don't think I haven't been there since I was, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. And I didn't remember much of it. So it was great to see all that. Uh, and as far as the tournament goes, it was it was ran pretty well. Yes, um, I totally agree. And shout out to Jason and to everyone who had a hand in that, because I commented to him about how smooth a process uh, I thought everything was. I thought he did a great job running that. It have a lot of help from uh, both uh, Don, Don helping behind the counter, uh, Tormentor also helping behind the counter, uh, uh, Dan and um, Moomin helping with the, like, the, the grids and like the and I'm sure there was other more hand, other hands involved in helping as well. Um, so yeah, shout good. out to everybody who had a hand in that because it, no man is an island and uh, it takes a, a whole group, but they did a great job. I can't remember the owner's name, but he even helped putting the lights in for us after hours. Like he would change the lights and the bases for us. So that way the cameras would be like actually in color. So that was really nice as well because it's, it's much better than in black and white. So but it was great. Uh, I was sick for most of it. I had, I had, I was getting over food poisoning, but other than that hiccup, it was a great time. The team, the teams were all like way better than expected. Um, 
even your team had like really, really good chemistry by the end, by the second day, the first game we played you, you were just the only team in there. And we had, (laughs) how did that even happen? (laughs) Tell that story. (laughs) The other team missed getting in the briefing room. And we said the doors get locked. If you don't make it in by the time the game starts, you're not playing. So I have never actually seen anybody hold to that, but you know what? Credit for it. You set a rule, you follow it. It was a great rule, and I think it should be in every system everywhere because it makes sure that people are on time. That way your schedule can stay on time. So if you enforce the rule, if you if you show leniency, they're just going to abuse it. So if you enforce the rule, they, they'll have to follow by it. You know, So it was great that they followed the rule. And even Jason's team, like he was the coordinator, and even his team was short a couple players, and they followed by the rule. They didn't let their players go in late. I think they played a man down one game, too, later on in the tournament. But that was a funny experience because I had no idea until like three minutes in. I was like, why? I was like, why are they staying? Oh, it's just us. Like, <laughs> yeah, we didn't realize until about three minutes in also. <laughs> I was like, it's just our two teams. Okay. Um, so that was fun. But Philly, that was a good memory uh, as well. That was a, a weird one. I'd never experienced just two teams in a competition going at it head to head in team comp before. But um that and and then going to New York was a great experience because it's so close by to Philly. So it was only like a two hour drive. We got to go downtown, see Times Square, and that was a good time too. Oh, that's funny. You took a side trip to New York. I took a side trip to Delaware. Did you? Because you know, if you play overnights, you've got all day to play more tag. <laughs> so very cool. Well, a uh, lot of great memories and a lot of cool things that have uh, resulted from uh, all these laser tag experiences. So I'd love to wrap it up with a little bit of uh, rapid fire tag talk. You game for some okay. quick questions and quick answers back. Oh, if if I don't answer them, what happens? <laughs> well, I, don't have I guess I'm going to have to come up with a rule myself. But... All right. Well, let's do it. All right. Let's do it. All right. Favorite game format. Uh Team comp, team competition, five man. Favorite arena you've played other than Fort Wayne? Other than Fort Wayne would be uh, Ultra Zone, Ben Salem, and Pennsylvania. Definitely a great arena they've got there. Coolest person you've ever met through Laser Tag? Coolest person I ever met? Uh, can it be a tie? Sure. I would say Slick, um, Noel, and uh, Ace, Kyle. I don't know if you guys, anyone knows them, but they're both great people, great players, so... Excellent. Coolest place that you have ever visited because of laser tag. Coolest place I've ever visited. Oh, um, I would say DC. I mean, I can't, can't beat DC. There's so much to see so much to do. All right. Favorite prize or souvenir. Oh, wait, can we go back to that last question? Yeah, go, go ahead. I mean, DC is great, but I'm from the U S and I've been to DC many times. I would, I would have to change that. Sweden was great too. But Australia, hands down. When I went to Australia, it was beautiful. I loved everything about it. And um, just being able to, like, go so many new places and, and so many new experiences, that was by far, hands down, my my best experience. It's especially because I got to go alone. And I was in Sydney, Australia, doing all these things alone. So it was it was a great time. Were you competing? Were you in I the was, international was, events there? I was competing in their uh, national event with 35 teams. But I, uh, I went to, I, I had an 11 and a half layover in Sydney and I got to go all around town with the, the bus and I got to see the opera house, got to go to the zoo, the aquarium. And then I got to go back to the airport to catch my flight to Sunshine Coast. Where, and then we went to the Steve Irwin Zoo there because that's where that is. So oh, that was a lot cool. of fun too. 
Well, and I th- I just think it's amazing. 35 teams, they they do a great job with uh, getting their scene mobilized. So They really do, yes. Shout out to them. All right, now we'll move on to favorite prize or souvenir. Um, Favorite prize? Oh, geez. I got a lot of them behind me. Um, I would say my favorite ones are at UltraZone. We have a huge display of trophies up above the very front cash register. And a lot of people always ask, like, do you guys get these for laser tag competitions? So it's really cool to talk about with customers when they walk in. Excellent. Favorite snack at the concession stand? Uh, I try not to eat them, but if I had to choose, probably the popcorn. Okay. And favorite brand of We Never Run in the Arena shoes? Uh, I like Reeboks, so that's what I play in. All right. Excellent. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking some time. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head, other than laser tag is is by far like taking me so many places in life that I never thought it would. I, I worked for Zone Laser Tag short for a short period of time doing installs and and I met a lot of cool people. I met Eric Guthrie, Simon Wellitz, and, and a bunch of other like other laser tag operator like manufacturers and and uh, and stuff like that. So just being able to meet so many people and go so many different places like IAPA and and it's just been a great experience overall. Laser tag is just as big a part of my life as it is probably yours. But you've been so many more places, and I envy you for it. So. I love that laser tag gives you a reason to travel and a lot of cool experiences to be had out there. So, and I I wish you all the best with running battle for the fort that's coming up at ultra zone Fort Wayne. So thank you again. That's my guest, Luke Beckwith, AKA Skywalker. Thank you so much for joining me, Luke. Thanks. Thanks for checking out this episode of laser unfocused tag talk. Listen for more episodes on the first and third Friday of each month. Want to be a guest on an upcoming episode? Find out more and follow my blog and website at TiviaChickLovesLaserTag.com.